0: In this 147th podcast, we have new product news, interesting caffeine study and questions about it, why antioxidants are being left out of products, pro mountain bike training information, why rest between reps is better, questions on carbs, caffeine and more. Welcome to the 10th year of Coach Joe Beer Modi Sport podcast for triathletes, duo athletes, sporty riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers and fitness enthusiasts.
1: Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster.
0: We are supported by No Pin suppliers of Cycling Running Triathlon, Duathlon, Aero Clothing, Custom Club Kit, Innovators of the Speed Pocket, the Speed Belt, in association with Aero Coach, the ATS Trip System. Visit NoPins.com. Also supported by and currently in SafeFortRacing.co.uk for all, absolutely all of your biking needs with great brands such as Scott, Infocrank, Garmin, GoPro, Powerbar, Continental Tax lightweight, you name it, most of it's here, over to you, you are?
1: My name is Martin Crocker, I'm 38 and uh, my favourite subject is uh, mostly drinking, mostly eating and sometimes riding my bike.
0: Brilliant, okay, so a slightly different start to the podcast, we are in beautiful sunny July. Ish. It will be by next week, don't worry, it will be. When this goes out, it'll be a heatwave. So, this is the 147th episode. Keep ticking them off. Keep ticking them off. We've had a couple of reviews since last time. Firstly, I'd like to read out one from DJ Keltech, who put us a review on iTunes on the 28th of June. Short, sweet and to the point. He said, brilliant podcast and gave us five stars, so thank you very much for that. But he also said... Fantastic training tips and advice. Keep it up. Short and to the point. That's all you need. This next one, you can read it, and I know it wasn't you that put it, even though it looks like it might be, but there you go. If you want to read up the next one.
1: So this one's from Martin4462. Uh, uh, it says, Fantastic podcast for anyone with an interest in endurance sports. I especially like the listeners' questions. They always seem to be about an issue relevant to me. Uh, keep up the good work, Joe and
0: Martin. Yeah, and again, he, you know, he gave it a five... Uh, Yeah, a five-star and actually entitled that one The Best Endurance Sports The Best and I get my teeth in the Best Endurance Sport Podcast. So thank you for those two. We aim to please. We aim to please, this is it. And if you put your reviews, your ratings, and also send us your questions each month. I've already got enough for next month, and we'll be doing that very soon into um August. But we'll get this one out first. New products. Um, you've got some new product news, I think, haven't you? I've got a couple of bits of new product news. I wanted to say, and it's a, it's only a, a it's only a plug because people have asked, and people have um, been uh, keen to get them, and sometimes give them as presents. And embarrassing as it is, they've been asking for signed copies of Time Crunch Triathlon. <laughs> yes. And these aren't
1: members, members of your family either. Are no, they?
0: they're not. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> But they do include also within it, they get uh, a code to go into the partner discount area that I've got on a certain little website page where they can get discounts for their, for their uh, friend that they sent the book to. So oh, wow. it's just a way of sort of, you know, spreading love, if you like. This is it. Get love, love, give love. Yeah. Um, something that I know is out. I've already seen it. And it's part of uh, the, the No Pins brand of products, which is the speed bands, which is the arm pockets for people that need to have numbers, normally for championship races. There's not many open events or even club events that require an arm number. Only but cross, cross, race, cross racing. that? Cross racing, but they're now available in white. Oh, wow. They were previously available in blue and black, and now they're available in white. Um, and uh, finally, Power Bar have released... Recovery 2.0, but I will talk about that in a moment. But it's got a nice, it's got like a strawberry cooler version. Because most products that are recovery, they're sort of like protein drinks, aren't they? Yeah. you know, they're quite yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of, well, quite nice in that regard. You get used <clears> to kind of certain flavours like chocolate, vanilla. Mm. Uh,
1: sometimes you'll get a slightly fruitier flavour. But I think anybody that that then takes a recovery that isn't that that kind of flavour, you go, oh no, it's an energy drink, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. it's nice to have yeah. something different. And
0: they've got um, they've got this sort of lighter um strawberry which is much more of a um it's sort of a a cold drink version and therefore it doesn't when I say cold drink it's like a lighter taste as opposed to a thick stodgy protein drink this is much more of a lighter cold drink and um yeah it's uh it's very nice actually um it's uh one one of those things that until you try it you kind of think all recovery drinks should be something like chocolate or, yeah, 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 that's or it. Uh, something like that. But actually it's a, um, it's a, a, wa- a raspberry, <laughs> sorry. It's a raspberry, um, but it's, it's um, called raspberry cooler. So it's a lighter version of a recovery wine. So raspberry cooler. There
1: we go. Fair
0: and I've tried both flavors and well, I like, I like sweet recovery drinks. Sometimes mm. they're nice, particularly cold drinks. And um, yes, I'll talk more about that in a moment. So what else do you know? Um, well, believe it or not, I'm actually
1: sat here today with a list. I know you were making notes, but no one can read it apart from me. That's more like hieroglyphics, but there you go. Um, so a few little things. Um, something that we've spoke a little bit about is the SRAM ETAP, uh, especially the TT versions. Yes, which if you haven't seen it work, then. You have missed out on something. It's fantastic, especially what we call the blip systems as well. So basically, you've got um, little pads that, that that kind of do your upshifts and your downshifts, completely wireless. Right. They just the just the pads. So explain that to people
0: because that means you haven't got the plug-in. Plastic like a, like a normal, um, you know, Durace or Tegra DI2, you've actually just got a pad that you stick anywhere you want.
1: Yeah, and um, you, you have to have a central control box. So they, they, they themselves have to plug into a central control box, but that control box can be at the end of the handlebars, then that's it. Right. That's right. the only cables that you kind of. So it's the thin wire that
0: goes. So they're not actually totally wireless. They, they've got a wire to a box. To a
1: sender, effectively. Yeah. Which
0: I guess over time, we're going to see all these things as processors and as electronics shrink. You see how much you can get into a phone, and most of it now is not the processor; it's the it's the battery and the and, and, and the um the different network yeah. um sort of connectivity options. But actually, the bit that's the you know the core brains has got smaller. So imagine those things are just going to keep getting smaller. Oh, yeah. Yeah, imagine just being able to stick it on. You could you could stick it in your glove and end up just tapping your hand yeah. to change gear. And and you know certain things like
1: that have moved on, and and I've seen uh, certain uh, pro teams that have kind of made their own uh, versions of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so so ETAP now is becoming uh, more readily available. Obviously, you've got the new release of uh, Shimano Dura-Ace as well, um, which again looks, looks a, nice, uh, a nice bit of kit if, uh, if you can afford it. So um, on the grapevine, I well, know-
0: Well, just, just to, sorry, sorry, this is I'm not gonna go all the way down the bottom of that list, are we? Yeah. Blimey, this is just like a product review then.
1: Well, effectively, I've written quite big. So it takes oh, is it? All right.
0: Um,
1: so uh, just uh, when I know we're nowhere near it yet, we've only just trundled into uh, supposedly summer, but uh, new new turbos on the market from Tax and Cyclops. So um, things like the Neo that came out last year, which is... Um, Basically, a a completely wireless again uh, turbo trainer that you can hook up to all your uh, televisions to Swift. If you haven't seen uh, that in its uh, in its time, so Amp Plus. Yeah. They've got FEC as well, um, Bluetooth or, or or Bluetooth 4.0 they call it. So um, basically, it's just uh, protocols the way that it talks to your equipment. So whether yeah. it be a heart rate monitor, power meter, but most of these slightly more expensive. Um, Turbo trainers will have kit like that built in. So, um, yeah. So TAX have got a new flux coming out, and the new uh, and the new version of the Neo. Uh, Cyclops have got the Hammer. So it's well worth having a look up uh, on that. Um, guys like Scott have uh, come out with two new aero helmets. So the Centric and the Cadence Plus. A so one mountain bike, one road um, aero. Uh, versions of their their kind of race helmets, which a lot of you guys would have seen, Orica Bike Exchange wearing. So Esteban Chavez is wearing it. Um, people like Nino Schurter, um, Jenny Rizved, You know those guys have worn them onto their world uh, world champs win uh, last weekend. That's I think right. Think that was leader yeah. uh, Heiser. So um, also uh, Sebastian Keneally is as well yeah. um, onto the Euro Ironman champ. Oh, he is the. Uh, the champ so, um, and Tito and Sherwood as well, who's the under 23 uh, sponsored Scott Rider, who's uh, world champ as well. All right. so done well. Um, new Garmin head units, so the Edge uh, 820 and 820 Explorer out. Um, new upgrades over the 520. Um, obviously, the 820 is touchscreen, a little bit bigger. Um, the they still got things like live track, or they've got a a software update that's called Group Track, so that yeah, lets in. you. And
0: what is that? What's Group Track?
1: Well, it lets you follow guys that you ride with. So, say you've missed the the six o'clock uh, shop ride. Basically, if you've got your smartphone in your pocket, they're all signed up to it with their smartphones. You can find in real time where they've gone, which way they're going, um, and then play catch up pretty much. So, it's quite a clever. Uh, Quite a clever piece of uh,
0: piece of kit. So if you're not there, you've missed the ride. Sorry. Yeah, there. yeah. It. yeah. Know,
1: gone on you know. the days we go and right, Well, Shall we normally we wait ten go? minutes
0: or five minutes. You're gone. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So you're clipped in by six o'clock and you're gone.
1: Yeah, that's it. And um, also, it still has uh, um, the live track on it, so you know you can uh, your loved ones can follow you if you need to. The, the best thing that they've done at the minute is they've built in an incident detector. So it's got yes. an accelerometer accelerometer in it Um, so if you have a sudden stop or it, um, it triggers the alarm built into the head unit, that will actually send a message to your next of kin. So it probably,
0: probably worked for Ritchie Port yesterday then.
1: What, what, yeah, it yeah, had yeah, a yeah. sudden deceleration. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that will then send a text message to uh, your contact, uh, whoever that be, plus it has your... Medi- this might be the team car. Yeah, that's it. And it, might, it also has your medical uh, info on there as well, which is good. And silly little things like built-in uh, ambient light sensor, so it obviously turns the head unit down, uh, the, the screen. Yeah light down in power-saving mode. So. Um, the, A bundle of the products then? Yeah, there's loads of stuff out there. I mean, obviously, we're getting to that time of year. The Tour is always good. The Euro Champs are always good because new kit comes yeah. out. And you've got, um, you've and got Interbike see.
0: and Eurobike in, on the horizon. That's right, yeah. So, so, yeah.
1: There'll be all new kits. And, you know, different people are coming out with different bikes and uh, new bikes for 2000 and, uh 17 pretty much, even though we're not even half well just halfway through yeah, 2016. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, and perhaps so,
0: perhaps next episode we can talk about new bikes. Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: We can do that. Um okay, on to questions, straight in there. Uh this was um from uh, from Maggie Moo and from Simon Willis. Um it came through from both accounts via Twitter to me, and the question was why can't nutrition companies make carbohydrate tablets uh, like electrolyte? Would it be easier to carry and to use than powder sachets? So you have little like sort of tablets of, so you're, you're compressing powder, in other words, into a compact format. Um, and I suppose I've seen, I remember people doing wafers. I remember wafers have been done and you could kind of argue that's what bars are. You know, it's compacted. I wonder whether you could easily compact powder so that it was literally in like a bar and you could drop it straight into your bottle. You imagine if it was bar shaped, it would go down the nose of the bottle, drop straight into the bottle. You wouldn't be trying to tip it in and pour it, which you couldn't do on a bike on the move. And they would fit slot-wise up onto the top tube box.
1: Um, noon have just bought out. It's called uh, it's called Plus. Right. So it comes in uh, tablet form. Yeah. It's neutral flavored, so you can still put a flavoring with it. Right. Uh, you just drop like the evanescent tablets you get yeah. for for lights, yeah. yeah. Just drop it in there.
0: How big are they? Yeah. How large are these? Because the thing is, is that if you look at how much, that's, that's yeah, that's the only that's thing. That's the thing. Is you look at forty grams of carbohydrate for a you know for a minimum amount that's going to be um, useful, you've got to see how how big that is ever going to be in terms of try compressing it and crushing it. How small can you ever make that? Yeah. But I think it's the format. And I thought a bar, because when I saw that, I thought, what would be great? And people say, um, particularly sporty riders, I want to carry some of my own powder. It's difficult for me. I can't do it on the fly. I can't grab a bottle, whack it on. And then you know, they don't even have in-flight fueling, like, say, a long-distance time trial or triathlete. But a traffic you could imagine they could drop one of these bar-shaped Effectively crushed powder straight into the front bottle. If it effervescently
1: then dissipated into the
0: water, it would save trying to trying to either carry it in concentrate form or trying to get some stop get a sachet, try and tip a sachet in. So I thought it was quite you know. There's there's been various options. There's been wafers and Powerbar brought out that um, a proper wafer, almost like the Pink Panther wafers that kids have. That's kind of a wafer energy bar and that is still the C2 max carbohydrates. I think um, both Maggie and Simon, I think there are different formats but the thing is with the tabs is you imagine how light an electrolyte tablet is. I've not weighed them, I'd have to stick them on the scales to find out um, exactly uh, how many grams they were but if you dropped them into the bottle and you found that, you know, even like eight of them were starting to even give you any amount of carbohydrate, you think, blimey, that's quite a lot of fat yeah. to do it. And the only way that really compact carbs would be useful is in training, you could put them in the back of your pocket, like they're almost like a solid energy bar. Therefore, they're giving you that, um, that convenience that some people do take out powder sachets and at their stops, at their... Um, you kind of think at their stops at their maybe even uh, intermediate sporty feeding points they can actually do their um, do like their own carbohydrate without having to muck around but the solid aspect is great for electrolytes because you don 't need many of them, and therefore a small electrolyte tab has a lot of a lot of um, benefits, whereas a small electrolyte tab in carbohydrate terms is quite small. There's not yeah. a lot of carbohydrate in there.
1: Well, the noon tabs, I think, have 11 grams of carbohydrate per tab.
0: Yeah, okay, so, so four, possibly five is starting to, you know, that's, that's probably easier to carry if they're in a tube in your back pocket or in your top tube bento box. Um, but then I, I suppose it's, oh, of course, it's, some people don't like that texture of gels so go to solids maybe go to these um solid uh i guess that's a new format again it's like a solid energy powder it's effectively a powder con- you know crushed and made easier because how do you find 40 grams as opposed to 50 grams in a sachet that's a very difficult thing whereas if you say well each of these is 10 11 grams you drop in six. say, right that's my 60 grams now whether that's super convenient or not is, is by the by but it i suppose it is a different option and that's quite that's quite timely that they've asked the question because I didn't know that.
1: Well, funny enough, I was only talking to um, uh, to a rep yesterday um, and I knew they were kind of taking over yeah. a particular brand. So th- this was noon, for instance, and um, it, uh, we were just filling out the order form. And funny enough, it was um, they were just saying how convenient that is really to have a, you know, have a nice kind of um, just a tab that you drop in and, and off you go. So um so yeah but with 11 grams in there you know you're kind of you'll be looking at like you said you know dropping 3 or 4 of those yeah. into a mm. I don't know whether they're so and obviously pop the, the the lid out if you don't kind of let it breathe so mm. but yeah the, the the timing's perfect
0: and everyone should should realize that there there are all these increments of different products different flavors different companies different carb mixtures you've got things like Vitargo which is um potato based protein, which for some people is is amazing because they they react to corn or they don't realize they react or they go to a different thing. So you've got that, you've got the different like um, glucose fructose, like the the power bar type formats. And then you've got, you know, energy bars, gels um, and sachets galore. And if you can't find something in that and your standard off the supermarket shelf energy drinks, some of the real food type options, Out there, there's carb options for you, but you've got to do a bit of experimentation, and sometimes that means getting it a bit wrong. And sometimes you eat stuff and go, God, I wouldn't want that again. Or people going, Eureka, I've just found this awesome flavor. And for the time being, they really like that flavor, um, and they really kind of, it, it clicks, you know, it really sort of clicks with them. But if you don't like a flavor, after a while, you go. I'm not going to do that again. No. If you love it, you might like it for a while, and then at some point, you go. Um, I've got a bit bored of orange. Do you know what? I'm going to get some of that berry flavour and have it have it. You know, a bit a bit different for a while. I, I hate getting into the same flavour all the time because as much as you like it, sometimes a different flavour just is is quite a different.
1: Yeah, and I also I think is is like you were saying, having something that works. People are not necessarily fussed by flavours, but are fussed by texture. Texture is the biggest kind of. Uh, off putter, I think, of of people kind of trying different nutrition. So it's like gels, really. People mm. don't like the texture of gels. Um, I think Joe would probably agree with me. We've been using gels for so long that now I couldn't even tell you what flavour they are. Really, it's just a case of kind of ripping the top off yeah. of the packet. And boshing it down, as we say, and then you know what it does. It
0: kind of it and, it's, helps you and out. it's not gourmet food. And I sometimes I, I hate <laughs> like right, to yeah. say this. I hate like to say this. Sometimes, it's like, just get on with it. I mean, you're not out there trying to work out what's the, you know, what's the most, um, you know, holistic carbohydrate option you've got. Sometimes you just got to get it down, and sometimes you perhaps don't ideally um, have the, you know, the perfect flavour, the perfect product. But you just sort of um, You just get on with it. Mm. And then other times you want a specific one, nice, you know, this cola flavor or this black flavor or whatever. It's, um, it's, it's just horses for courses. Mm. So it's a good question because it, it throws up. Yeah. What about the, um, what about the options for, um, you know, for solid carbohydrate, which is a quite a good question. Mm. Anyway, on to the next one, uh, caffeine. And this was, there was three separate parts of this because firstly, um, Martin Reader sent in one and said, Joe, I've read about the benefits of caffeine before exercise. Is there any data about benefits uh, slash dose during a session or a race? At the same time, um, Rob Watkinson sent in via email and he said, hi, I have a question for the podcast. I believe you have some new caffeine research, so it may be relevant. I generally have no more than three coffees a week. Uh, not that I don't like it. I love it, but more to enjoy the ergogenic benefits of key training sessions or races, so not to become too reliant. The rest of the time I drink green tea, often decaf. My question is, if I had more coffee, say before all hard training sessions, would my pre-race coffee benefits be nullified by the more habitual use? The real hard sessions feel so much better first thing in the morning post-coffee. Maybe that's because I don't drink too much though. By the way, the coffee I do have is good stuff, ground by myself uh, for stove top or fresh press. Thanks. Thanks. And again, that was Rob. And I won't do the third one just yet. So firstly, going back to Martin, Um, that de- benefits about sort of multiple doses. Most, most caffeine research is about a sort of a one hit. And if we were to condense it all down, you'd say it's probably, three milliliters, three Three milligrams per kilogram is the the sweet spot for an ergogenic benefit. Per kilogram. Yeah, so if you're 70.
1: Per kilogram of body weight. Yeah, yeah,
0: sorry, yeah, kilogram body weight, yeah. Yeah. Um, So if you're 70 kilos, it's roughly 200, 210 milligrams, and that's gonna give you, (laughs) but it sounds a lot, but you know, that that can be two strong coffees, or that can be, I mean, there's gels that have got 200, the power bar ampules have got 200, that's um, quite, you know, that's the sweet spot. That's not high. I mean, that's the sweet spot. It's been measured. Um, research has gone up to six and even nine milligrams per kilogram, <sighs> which is which is bonkers because it's so low. They're kind of thinking, is more better? And often with all these things that relate to human physiology, no, at a certain point, you start to get a diminishing return. For most people, three, you know, three is is probably the uppermost point of of good. And multiple doses are probably better to work out that the time that the caffeine is in the system before you notice it is approximately an hour but once it's going and you've got the ergogenic effect you don't crash 20 minutes later people that don't know about caffeine and sort of think it's think it's wrong or it's doping or whatever they sort of think you're gonna get this great big high and great big low And then you see in in the real world experience, people perhaps take it for a morning race and they feel great for the rest of the day. They really do feel, you know, chipper. Now, I know people respond slightly differently to it and there are some non-responders, but most people, particularly on evening events, if they take it at five, six o'clock for an evening race, they say they're still like, you know, pretty alert at 11, 12 o'clock at night. So it doesn't fade away suddenly. And in most events, that means you're only looking for it to kick in when you really need it. So this idea of taking multiple doses might just be that you're taking a longer time, every time you take 50 milligrams, you're waiting to eventually perhaps get to 200. So you're looking at four instances before you then say, well, from the fourth, maybe somewhere between the third and fourth, wait an hour and it will be your best effect. I think it's better to condense it down. Um, I've definitely heard um, certainly on the triathlon front about athletes using it very late, on the bike um, in, you know, sort of pro plus caffeine gel format to kick in as they get into the run. So caffeine from a multiple dose point of view is less well known. And yet in races, people can take multiple caffeine amounts. What you've got to watch out for is multiple caffeines without realising it, pre-race, in your drinks, in the race provisions of gels and so forth. And before you know it, you've got Um, you've got really, really, really um, huge amounts of caffeine, you've gone way past the ergogenic effect and now you're literally gonna be wired and probably likely to make mistakes because you start becoming jittery. And as I said, back to the the golden rule would be three milligrams per kilogram, one hour before you want it to be at its sort of peak effect but that peak will be held for quite a while.
1: So when you said about non-responders, are the non-responders to go to Rob's question? Yeah. Are the non-responders the guys that are used to drinking a lot? No, of caffeine no, no, again?
0: no, no, no. Non-responders are people that genetically don't seem to respond to caffeine. So you can give them, you know, you can give them a coffee. Uh, you know, we're at 7 o'clock at night, you give them a coffee, strong, strong, strong coffee now, and they'll still go to bed at 10.30, fine. Yeah. And I'd be going, right, i better do some work <laughs> then. the po- all... yeah, yeah, it's yeah. pointless, you know, better watch the Tour de France again, because it's pointless trying to um, get to sleep. And, and there's some, they, they seem to have been able to um, identify the gene that these people have, and those people don't seem to be able to, and I can think of a particular instance, you give them, you know, a particular dose, which you know is a dose of... Um, yeah, of energy uh, energy drink, gel, whatever, with caffeine in. And they'd say, oh, I don't really know that I noticed a difference. And I'm like, blimey, you give me that amount of caffeine. And I know, I I can literally hear it, like yeah, I'm like yeah. really amped and ready and think that's what 250 milligrams does. And these people are going, no, I didn't really notice it. But I
1: suppose, yeah, saying that, is, I mean, I could not take 210 milligrams of caffeine. I could
0: not, <laughs> full stop. And uh, We will do it. <laughs> And We will record it. We will give you two hundred and ten yeah. next time, and see whether we can last more than ten minutes. You'll be going, I know, it's sorry. bad
1: enough. I'll say it's bad enough. I gabble on, but yeah. with that, I, I mean, for instance, how much is in a can of Red Bull?
0: Uh, depending on the size, it's roughly a hundred.
1: Right. Okay.
0: Yeah, roughly. And I used to, and I, I, I am a responder, but I used to yeah. drink Red Bull by the by the plenty, you know, multiple times. I was I was um, what's the word a nominated driver because I don't really doesn't really do it for me. And I can just remember drinking, you know, six, seven, eight, nine oh, Red Bulls, you know, Lord. and then just like, yeah, dancing for quite a long time through the night. <laughs> I can imagine um, you were. Yeah. Yeah, but the world benefits from my dancing, I think. <laughs> I, I can't think of any at all. I've seen you dance. Back to Rob. Yeah. You're thinking that he's saying, you know, could you be a non-responder if you took too much yes, caffeine? Yeah. I think what can happen, rather than that, it's not that you don't respond. The problem with if you're a habitual caffeine user is you don't listen to your body because every day you can feel less tired than you actually are. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I... Yeah. So... It's not that you... Like a masking effect. Yeah, it, it masks yeah. fatigue and you can basically get adrenal overload and then you take the caffeine away from them and they literally just crumble and go, God, I can't do it, I can't do it. And we all like caffeine. It is still, you know, at the coffee level, it is still quite um, quite addictive. And to say, right, I'm going to be off of it for a while, you know, it takes quite a bit of... um I think you're, what, two weeks, aren't you? Two and 25 like, I Two and a half, so half Not weeks. that okay. yeah. two yeah. and a half.
1: And why, just out of interest, um, why? I... I'm one of these people... I, I, I like I like the taste of coffee. Mm. I could be a coffee connoisseur a if I had a cultured palate, which I do not. But True. I enjoy drinking coffee. Yeah. I enjoy kind of even the social side of drinking coffee. I enjoy but sitting
0: down on your backside,
1: but effectively, yeah. yeah. Um, and the uh, and the caffeine that you get from it, uh, or, or the kick that you get from it. Um, but I would almost be venturing into two or three cups a day. And then sometimes I like to, yeah you know, I know that's, that's how bad I am. <laughs> but I like to kind of sometimes step back, draw a line and go, right, I'm gonna have no more. And the first couple of days are dreadful. Well, um, wait,
0: wait till we get to the third part of this caffeine question and you'll realize your two to three cups a day is not a problem. And I don't think it is. There seems to be, I was looking, doing a bit of background reading, they're sort of saying up to about 300 milligrams a day is probably okay for people. It's not, that's not, you know, that's not dangerously high by any means. Um, going back, to Rob i don 't think that you should think you can't have coffee, but at the same time, if coffee is in any way masking what you 're trying to effectively be as an athlete is somebody that can listen to their body if every day just to you know just to, to get to the office or to you know to get your eyeballs open, you have to have you know a couple of strong coffees and an hour later you're you're feeling quite good. The downside of that is. Are you, ever, are you ever aware of whether you're tired or do you just take enough coffees and then go, oh yeah, but the training was okay. Oh, it's kind of okay. It's, it's bound to be okay if you've had some caffeine and maybe you do leave it for the key sessions um, and the races where you need it. But I think if every day, if every day you have to have anything Apart from, you know, food, oxygen, water, I mean, you know, in most cases, something where every day you say, you wouldn't say, Oh, every day I've got to eat ice cream or every day I've I've definitely got to have an apple. I mean, that's great. If you're an apple grower because the phrase, you know, apple day gets doctor away probably means people buy more apples, but it's not proven you need an apple a day. And with coffee, if you have it, I've seen it with athletes, it grows and it gets more and more. And you say to them, tell me how much you've had. And they're quite surprised. And we move on to part three now, because this is an athlete and this is this uh, is somebody like
1: with Rob, I, I never really th- a lot of, obviously yourself, I never really thought about it masking mm. kind of fatigue. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think would would you say then with people if people have to have a strong coffee to do a session, it might be worth sometimes taking it backing down from that and just saying, Well, do you need the coffee to mm. do the session mm. or does the session warrant having the coffee?
0: Yeah. Or and, no, the no, and at the same time, is it just no? can you go to decaf? Can you actually have decaf and go, it's actually the taste, the taste triggers the response. The response is I've got to do training and that, you know, walking into swimming pool, smelling chlorine goes, all right, I'm swimming. Um, You don't smell chlorine when you get on your bike. It may be the same with the coffee. You smell the coffee, go, all right, yeah, I've got to do that turbo session. I've got to go to the track or whatever. It may may be a, you know, almost a a Pavlovian response. Coffee equals hard training and that's fine. But like you say, is it that you really need it just to get yourself up to higher quality? There was one piece of research, which I draw out of my um, uh, sports science memory, which is there was some studies done when they tried to really fatigue people and get their glycogen very low. And um, what they found was the benefit of using caffeine was that when somebody was really tired and glycogen deficit, they can actually push hard despite being that tired. Now that might that might be useful. It might be great that uh, you're tired, you're glycogen depleted, you're three days into uh, you know multiple sportive, or you've got this big block on a training camp, and you need to you need to basically mask the fact you're tired. And if you use that, and you notice that in effect, you are you know, able to do a quality session that wouldn't have happened without coffee, that's okay. But if every session warrants you've got to have coffee, I don't think that's a good thing, I really don't think. And the next one was, um, uh, was Ian, and he said, I've cut down my coffee from 10 to 15 cups per day to two. When I have these two cups, back to back, I can feel the effects of the caffeine within minutes. One heat teaspoon of gold blend per cup, okay, um, which is probably around 100 grams. Um, I know the quantity of caffeine is variable, so I need to switch to that brand that you use as it's a measured dose, and that brand that I use is um, True Start Coffee. So you've got a set little scoop in there. The scoop um, is exactly... Um, uh, 100 milligrams plus or minus a small amount so you know how much you're getting um, and then Ian says but what physiological effect is it having apart from giving me a buzz and making me pee <laughs> um, I've heard you should take it an hour before but if I can feel the effects within a few minutes would I be better delaying its consumption or saving it for the last push in my Ironman uh, perhaps the last hour of the marathon um, how will how it affect hydration? Uh, I really don't want to stop. Um, uh, I'm yet to master having a pee whilst running, so you know it's easier to do it on the bike. But I don't want to escalate that on the on the run. Um, I'm sure there's a gel that has 300 milligrams of caffeine, but can't seem to track it down. Um, so the next best is the power bar, 200 milligrams. Would I be better taking two of these combined with carbs as opposed to necking the the magic black bottles? Um, what, you know, what do I do with my caffeine? So, you know, this is somebody that likes his caffeine, this is somebody that uses caffeine, this is somebody that's massively cut back on his caffeine. I think the fact that you feel it, Ian, is is as much, you you know, you feel the effect of the coffee, it could well be that, you know, even the heat effect of drinking a warm drink, most people's porridge or their cereal isn't necessarily super warm. It's not the same as drinking a hot drink. So the hot drink effect may be what you feel, and you've so associated coffee drinking with an effect is that, it could be totally decaf and you would still got, oh, I can feel something. You know, it's never been measured within minutes. So you do get the effect after the hour, but you sense that you've had coffee within minutes. And the sweet spot seems to be 60 minutes. It can be felt, it can be measured in the blood as quickly as 45, but it's around about 60 minutes. Um, so I think you know, the first thing I found when I moved to the um, True Stock Coffee was I suddenly started realizing I'm now measuring how much coffee I'm having, therefore I know, I can't pretend that, well, that wasn't really two scoops in that one, you know, two spoonfuls, I'm doing it per scoop. And a bit like in energy bottles, I know how many scoops I've put in, I can't pretend and do like the one for luck type thing. You know, you measure it. If you're gonna measure it, then measure it. If you don't care about how much caffeine you have, then just, you know, have as much as possible. And I think Ian's coming from that group of people that sort of realize they take a lot of coffee, they like the effect caffeine does, But how are they gonna use it? And and coming back to um, what we said earlier, you leave it for when you want it the most. So to leave it to the last hour of the marathon on an Ironman, be it the last climb of a teeth, be it you know the third of three laps of a mountain bike race, is probably a bit late. I think you want it to kick in so that it's definitely working for the bit you know you're going to have to start pushing harder. And that often isn't waiting to say, oh, that'll just be for the last hour, particularly in an Ironman where you don't know where that last hour is going to be. You know, you might take it and then find um, either quicker or it takes a while to go into the system. So there's trial and error. And there's certainly better results from people that measure what they do and then afterwards say yes i took you know two of those gels in t2 in a triathlon or i took it i knew i I knew it was at 100k out of 150k i took it and it worked really well for the last climb. so there's individual differences but um there's different products there's different amounts but more is not better We know that. We know people. I've known people have massive amounts and it does them no good. And it doesn't make the performance just keep getting better and better and better. It goes up and then it tails off and then they start having negative effects. You know, they have cardiac arrhythmia. They have jitteriness. I've had people drop out of, even this year, people drop out of uh, triathlons where they're too amped and they, yeah, in, in the swim. Of course, they get, they start getting too nervous. They start reacting to what's going on. And you want to use it to, to push you when you need to be pushed and therefore you might not on race morning always get up and have a coffee like you would if you're going to work. You wait and say, I want my coffee, or my caffeine rather, later on in the day. And so your two or three cups is, um, <laughs> is not an issue. And, and I don't think it needs to be much because there was some recent um, research that came out in April. In uh, was oh, this
1: was that the uh, yeah,
0: the applied physiology, and, yeah,
1: that's right, the lower moderate doses of caffeine study, uh, late into the exercise improved
0: performance in trained cyclists. Just that one, yes, it was actually, Martin, oh, right, uh, yeah. by uh, Talanian and Street, And they basically took cyclists, they took cyclists with peak power maxes, males of around 390 watts, females of 360. So, you know, solid, mm-hmm. solid athletes, certainly not non, you know, untrained athletes, they were. In their early uh, 20s and they actually found low to moderate doses of caffeine were effective so they were you know they were talking about um, 200 or 100 milligrams so is that they're still relatively low I know it sounds a lot but when you realize if you really got a you know a, a very sort of brewed hanging around and quite large cup of coffee you could hit that 200 milligrams and that can be the issue with coffees is if you don't take standard amounts and you don't start to really check on how much you're taking, I'm sure Ian didn't suddenly, you know, jump from zero to 11 cups. It just creeps in you know, over a bit here, a bit there. Don't worry about that. Oh, that one was standing up. That doesn't count. That one was somebody else. <laughs> standing that, up. <laughs> that, that one, somebody bought me. Oh, that doesn't count either. Oh, I needed that one just because I was thirsty and had another. And, oh, yeah, I forgot about the, you know, the, the kind of uh, energy drink that had it and that gel I had at the end of the swim that had it. And then it just it just builds and builds and builds. Um, but this, this study actually found that um, both doses of caffeine delivered... Um, Late into this, they did exercise and then did a time trial performance. Both of them actually were better than a placebo. Um, The moderate dose improved performance greater than the low dose. So they found that actually this 200 milligrams was a bit better than 100 milligrams. And again, for these people that were um, about 70 kilos, they were 69 kilos to 64 kilos respectively, male, female, that was around three milligrams per kilo and they got a better effect. Whereas when they just had a hundred milligrams, they didn't have they had an effect. It was better than not having um any caffeine, but the better was to have the next extent. But they don't normally go above that and say, what if we just keep in more, more, more? Because it seems to be this sweet spot. And this, probably this palatability for most people to say, look, 200 milligrams is okay. What I'd love to hear is how did these people feel afterwards? You know, did some people say, oh, I, I had a horrible day for the rest of the day. I was really nervous. I, you know, I, I, I backed my car into somebody's car because I was so jittery. I, I couldn't concentrate because there, were, there are always negative effects to supplements that at some point you say that is not effective for you and we need to therefore reconsider the dose. But certainly 200 in the study that came out um, which I didn't know you'd read, actually, so it's really mm. good that you're up on the uh, research. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, um,
1: so so with going back to people that need to... <laughs> sound, like, sound like drug pushers. Going back to experiment with the amount yeah. that they did. Would you say the best way to do it is at a training race or during training or just try uh, try the... 200 milligrams. If you, it's really difficult, isn't it? Because if if someone isn't training, if someone for the first time is is trying caffeine, then maybe it's best to, like you said, start with a low to Mm. moderate dose Mm. before
0: a bit. It depends on whether you want to. We shouldn't, we shouldn't sort of say, oh, um, uh, and you know, every, everybody everybody has to everybody has to have it. You no, know, as we were as we were speaking then we were doing this podcast and we were looking out the shop onto the road and I saw um a, a group of um younger people in the youth. car <laughs> youth, but no and the chap got out and he just threw a can and I could see what it was it was like uh, like a no fear or a relentless bottle. Yeah. And he threw it out and he put it in the bin. I thought, oh, you know, he's had his caffeine. So caffeine's just part of what people have. It's not just sports people that have it. And it's not one of those things that people have to sort of see that, you know, you're moving into the dark side and it's a slippery slope down the down the road to uh, doping. It's not. It's, it's legal. It's within the foodstuffs that you could have anyway. You could easily be drinking coffee and Coca-Cola and having... Um, uh, you know, dark chocolate and things like that. There's always things that have certain xanthine stimulants in them. I think the difference with trying to get it right for sport is that mm-hmm. if you know roughly the sweet spot is around three milligrams per kilogram, you want to try it and see with and without. Do you personally notice the effect uh, amidst all the noise of you know the the build up to that session, how you felt and so forth? Most people do have an effect, probably. One out of 10, maybe two out of 10 sometimes will be non-responders and they don't really see the benefit. But if they're taking a gel and it's got caffeine, well, they get the effect of the gel, but they won't get the effect of the caffeine bit. And I think that's where nutrition and um, writing things down, you know, writing it down and saying, well, people that I coach have, they have a race plan for their fueling and also for their caffeine timing. Uh, And particularly one, to make sure he doesn't have too much caffeine because we once had an experience of way too much caffeine. And then you realize, do you know what? There is so much caffeine in all these products. It's very possible to to sort of race overdose on it and find that you've gone beyond what is good for your performance. And if you write it down, some people say, I just need one, one or possibly two gels. I need 100 to 150 milligrams and bam, I've got it. And if we looked at it, it was only what, a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago at most, that most gels only had 50 milligrams in. That was it. There was 50, and that was it. Then we started to go up, and you started to see the hundreds. Now we're starting to see the 200s, and I'm sure um, Ian said about, he, he spotted one, um, and he saw one, and it had 300 milligrams in Good it. Good Lord. And you kind of think, you know what? You know, 300 milligrams, if you're an 80-kilo person, okay, that's about 3.5 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. Okay, but that's still... You know, that's like taking, you know, four very strong or two very, very strong coffees, maybe four moderately strong coffees um, back to back and then sort of thinking, blimey, I'd be absolutely amped on that. And we don't want more is better. We want to educate people about, look, the sweet spot is probably here. You are better as one of the previous people that they all asked about caffeine at the same time, which is which is quite fortunate But to not always have it all the time, to have a day off coffee and be able to control your caffeine. Because if you cannot get by without caffeine, then you kind of become addicted. Because anything that you cannot say, no, I won't have that today. If you can't say, well, today I won't have a drink or today I won't have ice cream or today um, I, uh, I, I, I won't sit on Minecraft and play six hours of it or whatever. If you can't do something for a day or two, then you're probably addicted to it. And with caffeine, it's a very slippery slope. People say, oh yeah, I love loads of coffee. And I remember the first time I used the the True Start coffee and I had one said, right, I'm going to have just 100 milligrams today. And I came in here to do, I think it was a fit or a test or something. And it was really difficult because the first question was, Do you want a coffee, Joe? And I kind of went, no, I'm just watching my coffee. And I thought, you know what, if if I'd said yes, that would have been another one, probably another one before the end of the morning. That's up to three coffees. Then get home and go, oh, right, back at the office. All right, let's have another coffee. Before you know it, there'd be four without blinking. And when you say, right, one, or as you've said, none, I think that's the the key thing with this whole area is you need to be able to control it. It shouldn't control you. And in races, if you can use um, products, that you know how much is in it. You can use it such that it's timed well. You don't randomly drink a cappuccino in the morning and then pick up some energy drink. You don't know how much is in it and then have some of that. Then have some in the race. Then grab, you know, know what flavours of gels they're giving and which one's caffeinated. Because if you're taking one that you don't realise is caffeinated, you could literally be just wanging up the caffeine and there must be at some point, if nothing else, um, the the fatigue sort of, Um, uh, almost like unawareness that you get because you're just so high on the caffeine and people finish a race and they're like, yeah, I felt so good for the rest of the day. It was brilliant. The race wasn't hard at all. And you're like, wow. And you know why? Because you had a lot of caffeine even late on in the race and it didn't even have time to make the race any different, but it made you feel brilliant afterwards. Um, I think I've said before, it might have even been on the podcast that there was stuff done by uh, Australian Institute of Sport and they actually got the athletes to take caffeine before they went for their middle of the day naps as they were pro athletes and they'd have them take the caffeine so that they'd they'd have their nap and they'd wake up and then they'd feel better after the nap rather than waking up and feeling groggy and I thought that was you know I never would have thought about that one that you take it you know just about to go for a nap right have your coffee fall off to sleep when you wake up boom you know 40 minutes later you've had your nap and you can already feel the coffee kicking in so um there's you know there's various ways but do keep a do keep a log because it's part of your diet that As Ian, uh, illustrated, he won't be the only one that's, you know, getting up their double figures. It's quite a lot. I've probably topped off at about, I reckon six at the most, and maybe, you know, four would feel like a lot. And I'd be like, oh, I'm not sure, but six, if you change environments, if you have sports drink and coffee, and then have something that you accidentally didn't realize it had caffeine in it, it's quite easy, you know, but well done you for two weeks. And what are you going to do then? You're going to try 300 milligrams per kilogram next time. <laughs> Never. And we'll do, it, we'll do it not on camera. We'll do it on the um, on the podcast. And we'll just see you and see how, you know, take, a, take a, a gibbering wreck photograph of you. I just laugh all the time. That's the problem. I probably would. Third question. Um, sorry, yeah, is a, the, the third question, but this is uh, nothing to do with caffeine. And this is Lloyd. And he says, uh, Love podcast. Picked up great training advice. A few questions. Um, i Got a bit of a background here. I'm 42, long distance runner, 10 years. Hit 40s, turn to time trial in. Simple nature of the race, the aerodynamic side, it appeals to me, and often often out in the very early hours, aero test equipment, changing my position, improved my aerodynamics, etc. etc. Last two years. Training, aero, I've got my 25, uh, I've got I've gone from 25 minutes for 10 miles down to 2119. Uh, and he says, which I'm very proud of. I'd love to break 21. I'm generally hitting the mid twenty ones each time, uh, despite higher volume of training. My average um, power in the last six races remains exactly the same. I've noticed that my CTL figure in training peaks has always be hovering around fifty eight to sixty for the last five months. And um, every time I I hit ten stone, every time sorry, every time I hit ten TSB. I I take it easy Uh, when I race. My TSB is around minus two. So um, should I be um, letting the training stress balance figure go much lower before uh, a rest week so I can get my CTL up further? My CTL figure, my TSS is 400 to 480. Um, If I can then rest on the fourth week. That seems to do it. Finally, in your opinion, what are the go-to training sessions for better performance at 10 RTTs? Now, there are lots of numbers, and it is worth people going off to look at the various um, definitions, because you've got training stress score, you've got CTL. I was going to say... CTL, we... CTL is 42-day average of the training stress score. I think for most people, and I'm not saying Lloyd, I think for most people, those numbers can start to be big data, and I think they could be noise. Even though they're metrics, I think they could be noise because the problem is trying to hold everything else constant and see that these numbers are not you and Team Sky and your next big, you know, contract relies on you getting it bang on. We've got to watch that people don't, you know, lose sight of what they're trying to do. And there are, you know, simplistic things where you take the pedal from there, you push it down really hard. And then when the other one comes up the other side, you push down really hard. And you kind of think, yeah, that's a, bit, that's who a was, bit...
1: Who is it that said that? Someone asked a professional. That was, how you... that,
0: was that was Hutchinson, Michael Hutchinson. Asked he said, how do you yeah. go so fast? Yeah, and he yeah, says, well, yeah,
1: I pushed yeah, down on one yeah. pedal. Past. And he didn't just
0: say, I pushed down that pedal. He used certain words to describe the pedal. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. But, but um, you know, it's got down to 2119. Right,
1: hang on a minute. Let's go back to TSB, CTL. Um,
0: CTL, TSB. CTL, TSB um, let's let let's say if you want if you want the, the training stress balance the training stress score Go to trainer Pete's because I'm not going to de- define all of those definitions. Okay. What I do want to do is say that after a while My experience is you do hit the power buffer and you hit the power buffer because of what you've done to that point and if you then um, if he says in you know, last six races remain the same now, sometimes you've got to say well, I'm hitting the same and I've got to either change the training to stimulate how do I get that up and if you're a 10 mile time trialist you know you're looking for he's only doing you know 21 ish minutes of effort with a turn that means that he's effectively you know riding for 10 minutes turning and riding for 10 minutes and it might be you know 11 and uh and 10 it might be you know hard headwind easy tailwind but the difference is how much can he go into the red and sometimes the training of the the changing of the training in season to do stuff that isn't what got you to those first five months, isn't got you to be able to take your um, your average um, CTL figure to 50, to say, I've got to do something different now. I've done the racing. I'm getting good at the racing. How do I change it? And I think you work on taking yourself into the higher red zone because you're not an Ironman athlete that has to be a diesel. You're not a sporty rider that has to work on their body mass to try and get the, you know, the most out of their climbing and their pacing. You're just trying to take yourself into the red sometimes for short periods into rough surfaces, inclines, headwinds, and then being able to almost back off, but not quite. So you're going in and out of that lactate builder most of the time being you know, probably in or balancing the lactate balance. So you need to do something that really punches that system and makes you capable of not just riding at your average power, but being very good at going above it. Because you could do your average power, you you know, five races, six races on the trot. And it's a bit like the uh, peak power test that people do. You know, they come back, they try and do another one, same numbers. And I think there's, for want of a a harsh but realistic... um, scenario for most people there's just a glass ceiling and you can't push it up you can get very close to it and you can sometimes push right onto it like you've never had before but it doesn't just keep going upwards and you've done your aerodynamics and hopefully you're you're clued up as to um other uh areas of uh reduction of drag in the you know the tires and those things are probably as i've said to people the tires the the skin suits the helmets the Chain lubricants, you know, all that stuff is evolving far faster than you are, and you get to the point where there's no more in the engine. Very good riders, going back to you know, Michael Hutchison, what was it? His second, his second row, uh, second time trial. Yes, he'd been a rower, but his second time trial, he broke twenty minutes for ten miles because he had the engine, and he was trained in rowing, and rowing transfer to cycling is very, uh, it is very good, but not everybody can do the four hundred plus watts that he does for ten miles. And therefore, you're at a point where, you know, do you break yourself and then say, oh, I used to do that. But, you know, after eight rides bashing my head against the wall doing, you know, um, be interesting to know um, what uh, what power he's putting out probably to get a 21. I don't know on a I'd have thought on a faster course, you might be um, as low as 290 or so, depending on how big Lloyd is on on a, you know, on an average course, you might be having to do, you know, 30. So he's maybe in a 40 watt window there, what he's got to do, which is quite solid for club rider. 21 is a solid for club rider. That puts you probably, you know, unless you've got um, one of the strongest clubs in the country, you're probably in the top handful of people. If you go to very quick courses, some of them with lots of traffic, it you know times drop and drop. So it's worth measuring yourself on average power because if you go average power to a fast course, you're going to be finishing quicker than you have before, and then you realise I could have put out more power because I'm now working for less time, so I can put out more power. Yeah. So
1: with um, we we have spoken about this before. This I think this was last year. Um, we were speaking about cutting it down to its bare bones, kind mm. of the information that you need to gather from it um and the information you do gather from it um how do you then improve having got that but like you were Mm. saying with lloyd maybe it's worth doing the training sessions that involve him going harder into the red yeah and then like you said being able to recover or come back from it uh, 10 seconds
0: 10 seconds a very significant power without knowing his numbers i don't know but 10 seconds into a, a significant area 20 seconds, just backing off to threshold. Then 10 seconds into that significant, then of backing off. So you're actually learning how to manage the the lactate and also the the sort of. I think it's as much the mental ability to go. I could push into a place that I didn't quite know. Most of our PBs are within our grasp. If we're in the you know we're in good health, we're, we're fairly um, we're fairly fit. We are knowing that the trend of races has been going well. You can't pull a PB out of nowhere if you, if the as I see it, the performance trajectory is showing that you're not really on it this year. If you're not really on it this year, don't think there's any magic bullets that, oh, I really, I really need to do it. He's been getting, as he said, he's dropped down to 21s, he's had consistent um, races, but he's now hit that buffer. And sometimes mid-season, I get people to you know, pull away from races for one or two weeks and go back to base building, get fresh again. Because every time you go out and race, remember, this time trialist might be racing at least once or twice a week. And not just racing, oh, it's quite a good, hard quality turbo session. They're racing to get every last second out, which is different to saying, oh, yeah, but I'm a traffic And every week we do this kind of, you know, we do this track session, which is different. This is racing. This is, this is effectively multiple weekly
1: Efforts. tries. Yeah.
0: And sometimes, you know, it's the right course. It's the right night. So you absolutely smash it. But at a point, peak comes Sebco said five weeks for peak form, and that was it, this peak window ability, and then it's gone. And if you keep hammering yourself after that fifth week, you're then trying to, you know, literally get the same watts out, and it's getting hard and hard, and eventually people just crack. You know, you are not a machine. You can't just set yourself to 340 watts this week and say, deliver 340 watts machine, and it doesn't happen. So I think there might be... And by the time this comes out, it's August. It may may be too late in this instance. But even then, people have backed off and said, you know what, I'm going to just back off. Then I'm going to use the latter part of August into the what would be uh, open-only events in September. And I'm Mm -hmm. going to hit the rides, but I'm going to know that I've kind of had this refresher of being focused. Because you can deliver low-21s, you can deliver the power, but you're looking for that extra bit. And now that means, can you just eke out that, 10 watts, 20 seconds, boom, you're down to a 2059. And that's what it is. It's 10 watts. But 10 watts takes a real, you know, back to the back to the caffeine, back to the, I am really gonna rinse myself out. And I don't care if that means I don't want to race for two weeks. This is the one I've got to do. But you've got to get that form, you've got to get the motivation, and you've got to get the day to be, um, you know, air pressure comes into air temperature, traffic flow cleanness of turn that you don't get slowed up or anything like that but, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of factors that mean that there's some things that you don't you don't necessarily have in your control and if your power wanes a bit and I only had a conversation today and this chap saying, yeah, I'm getting goodish times, but the, the power is just starting to weigh. And so, right, we need to do this, this and this. And, you, you know, you, you acknowledge that they've done quite a lot of racing. Time trialists do compared to other sports. They do because, you know, there's at least one, sometimes two races a week. Sometimes I've had people do three races a week and you can deliver it because there's not the muscle damage. There's a sense that you can actually do a race one day, two days later get a PB. Because you've, you know, you're you're working at 80% of max, even when people think they've worked hard. It's doable on repeated days. And sometimes what you need to do is go into the next one knowing that you haven't emptied yourself for multiple weeks and think, how am I going to do this all over again? You've actually gone, blimey, I took a bit of a respite, mixed a couple of different sessions, like these 10 20s, and felt like I'm ready. Yeah? I'm ready to push hard. And I don't and I don't think that is is as rare as people think. There's often with time trial and people that already, you know, March, definitely they're already racing. So they've gone March, April, May, June, we're now July. Some of them have been racing five months. They're not still on an upward trend after five months. That's the thing yeah. as well, isn't it? You know, people for you know people for Iron Man, for half Iron Man, for Sportifs, so you have this block and then you recover, block and recover. And to do that with a time trialist, you've, you've really got to get them on side to know that it's okay to back off and not race for a while. And actually, you know, peak, 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 and then say, I don't care how good your form is then, that's the peak. If you know from the peak, you're having to not race for 10 days, then you give best you give at a that bit more. peak. Yeah. Whereas if you go, oh, if that one don't go right, that's okay, I've got another one four days later. You always are edging your bets to the next race. Whereas if you aim for the peak... Okay, what happens if you know if it's not ideal? Well, that's sometimes what happens. You can't guarantee the weather. It can be that your key events cancelled. That's that's planning. Planning, you know, planning prevents piss poor performance, possibly. And if you don't get it right, well, at least you've worked out how to get yourself to that point. If you do brilliant power, but you don't get the time, and he does a power PB, but he says that you know the day wasn't great, but I got a power PB, you've at least got the principle of how to do it. And then you say, but if I reach a peak, when you get to a peak, what happens the other side? Well, mountaineers get to a peak and they come back down. And you've got to do that. You can't say, I'm gonna hold, I'm gonna hold, I'm gonna hold. And it sounds like Lloyd's hit that, hit that point that he's still delivering PBs, but he's not, you, you can't keep doing the same old trick. Eventually you have gotta back off. And he said about, you know, the, the go-to sessions. I mean, some of, your, some of your go-to training sessions are your last race. Because you can't hit everyone full blast. And sometimes you try slightly different tactics. I like people to practice surging when the when the course is slower or the uh, weather is such that you have to work harder. Practice how much you go into the red and come back off. Because it's not who can just ride at exactly 80% of peak power. It's who can take the punches and come back off. And I think if you practice that in races, that's one different thing that you do go into saying, I'm not going to say I'm not racing tonight, but... I'm gonna try something different. And sometimes those different things actually end up showing, you know what, I can go quicker. I've never phased it, you know, I've never phased that power quite so much. And and would you say that, that that kind of surging would
1: work better on a lumpier course or? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, lumpier or anything where it might be, it's flattish but there's one direction where there's a really rough two miles where you're gonna have to work harder, it's rough. Your rolling resistance might go up by 20 watts. You're gonna have to try harder on a slower bit of the course or you try exactly the same and slow down for longer than somebody else and in that two miles you can't work out why you're 20 seconds behind somebody that in that part went harder. So it might be the surface, it might be the incline, it might be the, the wind direction, you've got to practice going above average and how much most people it's 10%, it might be It might be more if it's a last ditch effort to the line and it might be considerably more if they know that they've got a 20 mile an hour headwind and they're just about to go home very, very quickly. They can work very hard. But I think, you know, the go to sessions. sometimes it's the sessions you like doing, but it's one less rep. So instead of doing, you know, six lots of, of four minutes, you say, right, four lots of four, but I'm going to go up five watts. And I'm going to make it so it really the thing with intervals is how much muscle you stimulate. And if you've got power, just to eke it up a bit more, even if it's for less time. If you do it for three minutes instead of four, you've still got a fair amount of time under stress there. And if it's five watts higher than you normally do, you're just showing your legs. There's a little bit more there. Um And I did, and I think there's 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 personal favourites I have, and some people like them, and some people tweak them. But I think you've probably done enough training. What you've got to do is let your your body and brain just have a bit of a respite, not be scared that if you take a week out of racing, you're gonna lose anything. And look, if there are bits that maybe you can reward yourself with, uh, I don't know whether Lloyd's got trip socks. If you've got overshoes, but you haven't got trip socks, or well, trip socks might be five-ish watts, well, there's 10 seconds. And if you're rewarding yourself for all your hard work, why not think, I'm going to go 10 seconds quicker with this. I've just got to try another 10 seconds harder with my legs, which is only five watts. And you kind of, you know, if he isn't going faster and he hasn't done the training, don't don't throw loads of money at a problem that actually needs to go into preparing better next year. If you're going well and there's just two, two things, the input you can put in, and the, the the drag and everything that the bike has, if you can trim the drag of you and the bike but still put in slightly more input, you might go faster. And you're almost rewarding yourself to say, well, I haven't done this, this is more aero. perhaps I can therefore go quicker. But it'd be good to hear back from you, Lloyd. And yeah, get um get a twenty fifty nine. That's my aim is to get a twenty. I just need to uh need to get on some fast courses. Cause it does come down to that when you've got a certain amount of power.
1: Well, oh, you need to get some trip socks. <laughs>
0: I've got the error covered. Don't worry. <laughs> um, there was uh, there, there was there was something you were going to tell me about, weren't you? Did you have some kind of huh? no? Okay, I've,
1: I've, I've used all my. You ammo. Used, used all your ammo. You used um, all my ammo there. And again,
0: this and this this leads on actually, and I didn't do it deliberately; it's accidentally about. Um, and you probably rest this: the the short interset rest blunts resistance exercise mm. induced increases. You must have read that one.
1: I think so. What's yeah. that? What's that come through from?
0: Um, it's come through from experimental physiology. That's the one. That's I the think. one. Yeah. Um, Signed up so many. And that uh, basically is to do with the protein synthesis and the signalling within the muscle. So what what type of um, what type of things does the does the training do to signal? back to the body and to affect the protein synthesis and it, and they basically they asked a question they said you know if you do shorter rest between sets of resistance gym training does it promote um superior hormone effects or does it aid like the um, testosterone effect you get from training and does it affect the acute anabolic response that you get compared to doing longer rest so which is actually better which gives your body the better session and uh, they they actually demonstrated the short rest, so this was just one minute between the sets, and it was moderate and uh, moderate intensity, but highish volume, and they found that the actual anabolic response was was not as good. Okay, so despite you had if you like a superior um, uh, hormone environment, it was better to have the longer rest because the longer rest actually gave a better um, signaling. And I think when you look at the interval training that's been done with regards to, say, cycle ergometer research in in, um, gyms, in labs, they again say it's more important what you do in the effort itself than whether you do it quickly a minute later or three minutes later. That, That can change how much lactate or in this case, how much testosterone is affected um, at that point in time, it can, it can sort of change that, but actually you're trying to signal as much to the muscle work-wise to say, adapt to that. And the more that you can make it adapt, that's the point of training. The point of training isn't to put yourself into, into you know, a lactate overload or, or to say, well, that was hard, I didn't have enough rest. It's actually to say, get the quality work done quality over quantity quality over quantity so even if it does take you longer to do that session because you've got more interset rest and you say oh i normally do you know three minute intervals and a minute off the minute off is probably not um not not useful there might be some modest intervals where the minute off just allows you to compose yourself and then do it again. But we're not on about, you know, and you could argue they could almost take the minute away and be doing it continuously. I'm on about resistance training or intervals where you're working really pretty hard and you wanna then go and repeat it again. If you wanna repeat it again and keep the quality up, and this comes back to Lloyd, you wanna give yourself nice long rests. Don't, don't you know, look at the sprinter mentality. Don't worry about taking 10 minutes to come back to do your next sprint. And maybe in the time crunched way that we do it, people just want to do very sort of, you know, oh, it's, it's, I just want to get rid of the rest bit because it's, it's a waste of time. The rest as much mentally allows you to then push the muscle harder. And that's what you're doing, pushing the muscle harder. You're not trying to say, oh, mentally, can I do it with only 60 seconds rest? You can do it and you won't know at that time without saying retrospectively, you know what? When I do shorter rests, I can't quite do as much wattage. And the important thing is, whether it's wattage or weight in the gym, you want to keep that quality up, not cram it all together and end up never really recovering between the reps.
1: And that's the advantage also with having things like power meters. Mm. Um, Just the fact that you can see, if you do it on feel, it could, because you've had a minute's rest, it may feel like it was the same intensity as the the interval you've done before, Um, but you could be way down on your power. Yeah. Um, So not necessarily... I guess you're saying, Joe, is, is not to focus, or the study shows, is not to focus on how long the gap between the, the interval or, or the exercise is. It's the quality at which you do that exercise. Yeah. 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 And
0: with that resistance training, they said that with short rest, um, it, it reduced the um, protein synthesis during the early period after the exercise compared to the five minute lot that had. Uh, so you're better to go for longer rest and let the body do its um, utmost to fully signal the effect than to cram it together and then to reduce that signal. You're trying to create a signal. When we talk about um, uh, the training effects, you're, you're trying to get the, you know, the genes to signal to one another. You're not, what you're not trying to do is to, um, is to say, oh, I got it done in less time. Now, if somebody's using some of the various stress score type software, If you put it in a smaller amount of time, it looks like you've done more work because you've kind of crammed more into the activity bit drops. So the time and work done per time looks like you've done better session, but you haven't. And you need full recovery. You need full recovery to go back and give the next effort a proper essay. If you cut it back, you could almost argue that, you know, what you're doing then is trying to get as much in time-wise. I'd always put, the recovery in first and say, I've only got X minutes by the time I've warmed up and so forth, what should I do? Well, always give yourself, you know, let's say three or four minutes recovery between a four minute effort. So however many of those four plus fours you've got, that's how much time you've got. You can't do a four, cut it back to one minute recovery and say, oh, I might be able to squeeze another one in then because though you won't know about it because you're measuring only, only that workout, if you could have stopped, gone back and done it again, you'll still notice the longer rest you can do greater work. And the point of resistance training, the point of high intensity intervals is to create high work and and give yourself the best chance of doing that. So that was a, a tiny bit of uh, research, which uh, I put in before Lloyd sent this question, but it links on really nicely from Lloyd, uh, which was basically, you know, work, work on your quality, try and let your body recover and... Actually, just before we came on air, we were speaking about RR, weren't we? That's right, yeah. About the um, certain monitors measure within the the PQRST wave. They measure between the R and the R and work out how well you're recovering. We're talking heart rate. Talking heart rate, yeah, so a PQRST heart rate wave. They measure, therefore, with very complex maths. That tells the software and then can tell the athlete whether they're recovering. And when researchers put one group with RR recovery and another group that wasn't measuring it, the RR recovery group did less sessions but got the same effects, the same outcome was had. And um, I need I need to get the full study and read it, but it still looked like it was better to listen to how well is the athlete recovered if you listen to their heart, and that wasn't resting heart rate, that was this RR, than if you just put a plan in front of somebody and say, there you are, do 14 sessions. What it showed was most of them did too many sessions if they were just given the plan and if you listen to how well the body was recovering they actually did better because they did you know they did less sessions but got better how often do you hear that somebody that gets into a rut and and, you know can't cut their sessions back but it's the end result and though you don't want to do minimum sessions because the end result won't be good i think rr may be one of these things that we know In a while would just say of course of course you do that that's the best way you don't get up and take your resting heart rate you look at what your overnight rr was and if it looks like you're starting to you know go off the boil how do you feel well not too good yeah well you aren't you're doing your training plan but your training plan is dictating to you and meanwhile your body just isn't recovering and this was only i believe it was only a two or three week block so it wasn't you know, if you're doing a six-month block, you can probably go into quite a deficit, come back out of it, and then find yourself actually at the same point. But if you can, if you can do less training and get the same effects by listening to your body, maybe, maybe that's the point. Not who does the most training. And they were only measuring a certain thing. They weren't measuring who did the best Ironman at the end, or were you know were people um, you know phenomenally stronger because of doing um, less sessions? There might be a point at which you say. You've got to do the training, but when you get back to Lloyd's scenario and you want the next race to be good, that's when you've got to maybe listen to these sensitive tools. And I don't know that you can always find that in the, you know, in the Garmin's, in the training peaks. I don't always know that those figures are as good as saying, look, physiologically measure something, not from the numbers that are on a spreadsheet, which are, you know, the the RR is is a clinical measure. Whereas many of the, you know, um, numbers that are used in in sports science and training software are not, you know, they've been made, people have done great algorithms, but they're still not established as a a clinical metric. The RR, which Polo have actually done for quite a while, is one of those robust ways of looking at it. And quite interesting that they did less, but they uh, they got better effects. They didn't quite get the same VO2 increase, though it wasn't too significant, but they got if you like, more fitness out of it, not necessarily just the VO2 change, the actual fitness tests were better done on less sessions.
1: Um, I know what I was going to say to you, power meters for runners. Yes. Which uh, I believe you sent me a link. Yes. To have a look at, um, which, which I'll, I'll have a little bit more of a look into.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's, it's early days, and I'm sure it's like the early days of the power on bike. You know, you look back after us and think, blimey, me, that was that was that was so Neanderthal, but it was a starting point. And uh it's American company stride. They've got some people um to quite um uh yeah, some some quite switched on people looking at how to measure it with uh you know accelerometers and stuff. It makes sense. I mean we've got so powerful processes now that can be put into small places it should happen and it will probably be, I think, great to give people, particularly uh, particularly triathletes, where you know how much power they need to produce for the first two hours of the marathon. People that are doing ultras and you need you know, a certain amount of power to get to this point, but they only need a certain amount of power to come down to this point. I, I think it's like bikes. If you want to do it well, let's face it, you've got to be on power. And not all the time, but you've got to have some sense of what does it feel like? Can you do 200 watts and show me what 200 watts is like? And if people are, are ragged, it shows they've got an insensitivity to how much power to produce. And you see it with less experienced cyclists. They sort of surge. They don't surge based on what they need to do. They surge on basically got this quite erratic. They don't just like put in the power and then you hit an incline and they put in the right amount of power. They put in the power way before they need to. And I think with running, it'd be the same. You see people, probably running more conservatively, noticing that actually the right power seems to relate to Zone 1, which is what power meters show you. The right power for base training ends up keeping you in Zone 1 because it's the right power. Um, talking of training, um, Nino Schurter's um, endurance training. Yeah? Yeah,
1: I've, I've seen that most of those that have come through. And um, I thought it was
0: quite interesting because they're, they're just putting all the numbers out there. You know, in his, uh, what was this? Uh... Since the last Olympics in 2012, Nino completed 950 hours of training per year, which is about up there. Um, however, this amount is slightly under the reference value of 1,000 hours per year for elites. It's like, come on, guys, it's within 50, it's within 50 like, watts. I think that's like a bit too much. Oh, elites should do 1,000. It's like, come on, guys, 950 within, within the percentage difference. He may be doing harder stuff than when the thousand hour rule, which has never been a thousand hour rule at all. Some of them, you look at uh, elite runners, is significantly less than that, and you look at I've seen training data from rowers up to twelve hundred per hour per year. Um, so it's not it's not a thousand. That's a you know that, that's a bit of a harsh way to say. Oh, you know, you need to do another fifty a year, Well, that means every week you need one extra hour of training. Um, it's this was the bit that it was like. Mwah. It said 85% of his training is endurance, 15% is strength training. Um, on average, he does 12 training sessions a week and has one rest day. Hear that, people? He does 12 training sessions. He's a pro, but he has one rest day. And I think the, um, the Lloyds speaking earlier and most of the rest of us, you need a day off. Um, I, I quite like that I um, don't train too often because I feel fresh when I do it. And... I know people have to you know, reach a certain level of volume when they're doing their big uh, enduros and Ironmans and stuff like that. But, hey, this guy's an elite and he still takes a day off. Um, the overall intensity distribution is according to the polarized training model, which you know is 80-20. So it's polarized. It's either really hard or steady. Yeah. Um, this means 25% of his training sessions include high-intensity workouts like interval sessions, which are rated as hard. Um, particular aspect in his endurance training is a high proportion of running workouts which accounts on average to two sessions per week which you know mountain bike you think everything's now he's running he's probably running because he's got the ability to get off the bike and run (laughs) should he need to also it keeps it keeps his body strong and power to weight rate uh, power to weight ratio related because when you run your body does get a different shape than when you just bike. Bikers can be quite chunky, but runners have to be lean and have to have a, it's almost like running is a trigger to your body to keep the weight down.
1: Well, I've got a friend um, who. No, a, you haven't. You. Know, whoa, 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 I've whoa, got, whoa, an you got an acquaintance. You've um, got an acquaintance, that's better. That isn't made up. Um, that um, He's a very good runner. Um, and he always says to me, if I ever need to lose weight, I go back to running. And he switched from running to rugby,
0: hmm. where
1: obviously the, the, the bulk- um, is more beneficial to a rugby player, yeah. and like he said, he played rugby for three years, um, and then decided he was going back to running. And within within a block of kind of four weeks, five weeks of training, you know, he shed you know significant amount of wow. amount of of kilos yeah. to kind of. And he was just like he said, every time he goes running, every time he goes into a block of running or does his running training, he said the weight falls off him. So um, you know, compared to kind of gym work and strength work that mm. that he does for the rugby training, so mm. yeah, it's kind of yeah. and also it's all those supporting muscles and tendons and ligaments that you you do neglect when you're on a bike. Um, most of the most of the guys that that, that listen to this that are TTers or, or uh, mountain bikers, um, you know, most of the mountain bikers will go out and do some running. You know, I, I, if I speak from my own, um, inexperience, well, yeah, my own experience coming from a, a running background to ultramarathons to literally, I don't think, I can't remember the last time I did any distance, I think probably about two years ago, and that's more jogging than running.
0: Um, still counts. So running, I, running is only a speed. Um, you mean you've done something on foot?
1: I've done something on foot that didn't yes. involve walking or cycling, which was running. Or shopping. Or shopping, yeah. So, um... So yeah, and I find that beneficial not only from the point of, of it does shed any little bit of extra weight that you may carry, um, but also to. Strengthen. I didn't
0: raise my eyebrows at all then. Well, if only.
1: But um, yeah, just to strengthen your little tendons, to almost like a nice reset for the body mm. as well. So
0: mm. I think it's. I think it's. You know, and it's. It's also good because you don't get a bone density benefit from a lot of cycling. Off road, you do because you do get jolts through the body that can help to. Uh, keep the bone mineral density up. But if people just ride a bike and they're literally, they're like astronauts because they're not hitting the floor. They're literally floating along. It's great for your economy, you can get, get huge distances, but you have to, not for performance, for health, you have to have some kind of other thing. And I always feel like, even if i 'm in a bit of a of a bikey mode, I still like to do you know one if i 'm lucky two runs a week and they 're not long, but it just resets your muscles and they feel great and you get on the bike and you can push a bit harder because your legs have gone ah that 's easy compared to running, but it also is that hey this is healthy you know we 've done running for a lot longer than we 've done biking biking is great for transport. And, and for speed but running is really good for keeping you and it's a, running i should say on foot so if you you know jogging plodding walking hiking you know just getting out on foot is great and even if it's you know with the dogs or running alongside the you know kids on their little bikes or whatever you know there's just a way to just integrate a little bit of not oh i'm going to go off and do a serious 10 miler because unless you've done a, a serious nine and an eight and a seven and a six and a five to run out straight out the doors and do 10 miles and people do it and go, oh, my legs are wrecked. And I did did that last year and it's fine. Yeah. Remember what you did for that? You built up over three months and it wasn't just suddenly out of the
1: blue. Yeah. Two days later, I still can put my socks on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I was going down the
0: stairs backwards. (laughs) Biking, you can fake it. You can not have ridden for three hours. And as long as you've got some fuel and you don't go bonkers, you can get through three hours, but you cannot with the muscles in running. And this is especially for... um, For masters, veterans, athletes, you can't just go out and remember sessions you might have done straight off the bat. You can't do it. You've got to be much more respectful about little micro runs and then building it up. And, uh, you know, Nino, just to see even some of those stats, it all falls into, yeah, he's doing about a thousand hours. He's doing uh, mostly endurance and some strength. Most of his uh, endurance work is low intensity with a small amount of high intensity. So he's a 75, 25 person within that. He does some running which helps him off-road just great just like confirms the boxes for people to tick if you if you want to You can just put on um,
1: just uh, Type into YouTube uh, into the search just put Nino shirt to training um, and It'll come up with a load of his YouTube YouTube videos
0: as well worth a watch actually okay last two bits And then we we'll do our goodbyes last two bits. I said about the recovery 2.0 Interestingly power bars recovery 2.0. They said um and this was in the spiel that's out on the internet, so you can read it for yourself. It gives the, the breakdown of the, the whey protein, the natural flavors, etc. But it says, um, you won't find any antioxidant vitamins in this shake. As recent study results suggest, they might hinder your body's training adaptations. And for most people, you know, antioxidants are, oh, I need to whack down loads of them. No, they've taken the antioxidants out because you should be looking for your, your vegetables, your fruits, your salads, your... You know greens etc to be the place where you get your vitamins you maybe have a moderate dose multivitamin if you want to cover bases that you don't have a complete profile of your um, food done every day by a professional nutritionist and you're not you're not sure if you've got all of the vitamins there so you take a an insurance policy but they are taking the antioxidants out because they say and the other research that you can find out shows yeah you give people antioxidants they get less of a training effect which kind of is against what people used to think think you know you're doing all this damage or you better get antioxidants to get rid of it no the the damage is not damage it signals it signals your body to adapt and when you when you um, when you cover that up, you don't get the effects because you're almost doing the job of what the muscle should be, you know, the muscle should be nudged by saying there's damage, that damage creates this chemical reaction that creates this adaptation. If you stop that, you get less of an adaptation. It's not zero adaptation, but you get less adaptations. You don't take a thousand milligrams of effervescent vitamin C and there goes your training for the day and you haven't got anything. You just, you want to let your body make those triggers for itself. Yeah? Um, the other thing, you, you saw the news that um, Edco had bought um, that place in America, the Faster Wind Tunnel. Did you see that? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah they yeah. bought that wind tunnel. So they they bought a tunnel to design their wheels. So I don't know other companies. I suppose a bit like Specialized bought their, or made their own tunnel to make all their stuff. So they bought a tunnel to refine their um, wheel products. Well, Edco have... Um, have- Acquired faster, haven't they? That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the faster tunnel. Yeah. So,
1: um, yeah. So there'll be. Well, I, you'll you'll notice uh, as good a um, as good a bits and bobs they've got at the minute. You'll just notice that these things will trickle in or come on leaps and bounds. So, mm. Yeah.
0: Keep an eye out for that. Yeah. For more the the as I as I heard it said to me, the way and speed in which you can get products refined accelerates yeah. because you don't wait and build up enough to then be able to afford tunnel time to go through, you know, your CFD optimized wheels and then try them in the tunnel, you can literally, you know, you can run constant CFD, you can work out models, you can make them, put them in the tunnel within hours, you can be testing something to see whether it works. So of course the 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 learning Cycle is cut down, cut down massively in massive amounts,
1: and then also it's not just about getting the money together to go to the tunnel, it's getting the information quickly enough to make the adaptions to the product yeah, yeah, to be able yeah, to then get it yeah, back yeah, in to yeah. see if that has worked. If it hasn't, then you're kind of a little bit stuffed, you're almost the next model year on to be able to change it. Uh, at least you can make adaptations. Almost instantly,
0: yeah. But then, obviously, you've got the production delay. That, that and that's what seems to happen this. with a lot of the CFD on the, you know, certainly on the bikes. And uh, you don't hear about it so much on the, the running technology and the, the swimming stuff how much they're using it. But I know they are doing more with processor speed now. Though they're, they're getting near to being able to do more analysis of swimming. And I saw a piece the other day where just by being able to watch video, it was possible to analyse computers are now being able to analyse what's going on, but Give it, you know, another probably two or three years. The process speed goes up to the point where you'll be able to look at the swimmer and then you can effectively calculate what was going on.
1: But that must be massive for, for swimming mm. is the fact that if you can reduce someone's drag, mm. you know, substantially, it's even more beneficial for swimming than it will be for...
0: Yeah, because swim, swimming, swimming at most speeds is, is like trying to ride a bike at 70 miles an hour. Yeah. That's the, yeah. And you think at seventy miles an hour, how well you would get your tuck sussed? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you know, every little fingernail would be just tweaked to the right angle. I mean, you th- you think you put your hand outside the the car window at seventy miles an hour, and you like you start tipping your hand slightly, and realise the drag difference. You think, blimey, that's why swimming feels so difficult because that's the same perceived difference when you just slightly dip your fingers, and you think, at, at, and I, I might be, I might be. Um, uh hopefully somebody will say you're right or they might say you're hugely wrong but i i had i'd uh asked and had thought that it was around 70 miles an hour in terms of the the speed and what is happening to do with how how air is how air reacts to um you know to sort of objects at 70 miles an hour is the same as what water's like Hmm. so we've got to say our goodbyes and our hellos and all that kind of stuff haven't we we have indeed so we appreciate ratings as we said before it's nice to get two new ones from last time and uh, please put them up there especially please contact us to give your questions because there has been great questions there's already some for next time that i've already got on the uh list there's already some to do with um there's one bit about backwards running which is quite different but there's also always i think just useful questions that if we sat down we'd sort of be able to make up questions, but only within our experience or what we've been thinking about. Whereas you, the listeners, you give us your questions, be great. We're still in the season. There's as many people that say, oh, I've listened to them and I've gone back over them. And they're listening to podcasts that we put out, you know, we, they're listening in November, but they're listening to stuff that we put out six months earlier, which is great because it means there's always this back catalogue to, to draw upon. And that even if it nudges you to say, right, next year, I must remember to do this. That's what I think is important, is, is nudging you next time. So, yeah, follow on Twitter at Coach Joe Beer and also at Southport Racing. Southport Racing. There we go. And there we are. Another podcast has come to a close. Yes. So that's 147 done. 148 will be out early in August. Get your questions across to us. Thank you for listening. And remember, train smart.
1: Keep smiling. <laughs>
0: like it
1: nice yeah